Well, it is good to be with you all today, to be worshiping together. It has been um, a hard couple of weeks for me. Uh, if you guys don't know, my mom passed away just uh, three weeks ago now. Uh, and for those of you that's lost a parent, you know that that can be just such a uh, storm of different things. Uh, grief and pain, uh, but there's also really sweet moments in the midst of that. And I, getting to go back to England and be with my family, there was, uh, I've been saying to people, I mentioned to some people this morning, every grace that God could have provided for us as a family as we mourned, uh, he provided. And even amidst the different things that were going on, there was these really special moments, even fun moments of just kind of going through my mom's life and celebrating. And, and one of my favorite things that we did over the last few weeks is going back through photo albums together as a family and looking on uh, the kind of the history of our family and everything that God has done. And um, so I decided, I was so uh, taken back by some of these images, I thought I would share them with my church family because I used to have hair. And I had forgot that I used to have hair. So I wanted to, to share these with you and share just a couple of the faces that have influenced me over the course of my life as a Christian. So here's our first one. This is actually my baptism. Uh, I, was, I think I was like 16 or 17 at the time. If you look very closely at that picture, you can see it thinning out on top, even at 16. So, but uh, the gentleman next to me who's baptized me is a guy called Jeff Elwin. Uh, he was a really important mentor in my life. He was someone, someone who encouraged me to come to the States, loved getting to spend time with him. Uh, he used to be a, a soccer star, and then his late years decided he wanted to spend time uh, leading people to Jesus, which uh, is always an amazing thing. Uh, so I've got another one here. This is, again, look at that. I, I can't even believe that that's me. But uh, this is me with two guys really important to me in my life. The one on the far left here is a guy called James Pounder. He was the guy who taught me guitar and taught me to, uh, to lead worship music. I got to sing in a band with him when I was younger. And then the guy in the middle is really the guy who led me to Christ, a guy from, called Toby Toll who comes from Texas, of all places. So I was fascinated by him just because he was an American and uh, got to spend a ton of time with him. He helped me understand who Jesus was, what it meant to follow him. It was a great experience. And then I, I think I've got one or two more, maybe one more. Yeah, so this, that's my mom right in the middle. Wonderful, wonderful woman. Um, and that's my brother-in-law there on the left-hand side, my sister in between me and my mom. All the people in this picture, incredibly formative to me and my life walking with Christ. Uh, they spent so many hours serving me, teaching me, encouraging me, uh, providing for me. And so it, it's so wonderful now to look back on these pictures and see God's grace at work throughout all these different people. Um, I had one more, but we're gonna, we're gonna keep going because I could show you picture after picture after picture of people who've influenced my life, encouraged me, and made a difference. And you know, what we're talking about here in the end of Colossians as we read this final chapter, we get this long list of people who had made an impact in the church, made an impact in Paul's life and in the life of the Colossians. See, Paul cares very deeply about this whole community of faith and these final words of his are kind of an encouragement them to continue being who they've already shown themselves to be. To be this community of faith who Paul said way back at the start of Colossians, who has this faith in God and love for all the saints. See, Paul understands that God builds his church through a community of people. Not through pastors, not through evangelists, but through the whole body of Christ working together in tandem to proclaim the good news. 
And imagine this with me. Imagine being in the church in Colossae. If you remember some of what we've talked about throughout this series, this wasn't a big church. It certainly wasn't a church that we could compare to ourselves here in, in Geneva. Much, much smaller. Probably a hundred or less believers gathering in homes in Colossae. And Colossae wasn't an important city. It was at one point in history, this kind of center of traffic and commerce, but as time has gone by, it's become a little forgotten. It's fallen to the wayside. And so you're a small church in an unimportant city, and yet you receive a letter from the Apostle Paul encouraging you, telling you about the good news of Jesus, and here at the end of this letter, inviting you to be a part of what God's doing in all of the nations. It must have just felt incredible to receive that invitation to be a part of what Paul was doing. He's telling them that their stories matter. Their lives matter in the work of God. They're not just nameless faces to God. They are his children. And they are the ones through whom he is bringing redemption and restoration. So Paul leaves us with these three encouragements to help us know how do we do this? How do we embrace this calling on our lives to live out the gospel? He's kind of been building up to this throughout the last few chapters, telling us about what it means to live for Christ. Last week, we would talk together, Pastor Brian shared with you all about what it means to live in our homes, in our parenting, in our workplace. And now he kind of leaves us these three encouragements to know how to keep walking. He says, continue in prayer, walk in wisdom, and fulfill the ministry. So I want to take a look at those three together with us this morning. And I hope that what you take away from this this morning is that there is a very real calling on your life to not just simply be someone who has believed the gospel, but someone who goes and carries that gospel out into the world, a world that so sorely needs it. So first, let's talk about continuing in prayer, continuing in prayer. Now, I was never a great athlete. I'm like the one member of the preaching team here at Chapel Street that doesn't have great stories about my glory days on some sports team. Uh, I spent most of my youth uh, playing video games and all that stuff that is not cool and and exciting for sermon illustrations. But uh, there was a brief period where I was on a soccer team at my school. And that, that mostly came from peer pressure because if you were in England and you were growing up, you had to be on a soccer team if you wanted to be anybody. So I had found my way onto this soccer team. The problem was I I cared very little for soccer. I only cared about the reputation it might get me. I didn't even know the rules of soccer. My very first soccer game that I played in, the the guy asked me, he was going to flip a coin to decide who starts the game. I had no idea why he was flipping a coin. He asked me to call heads or tails. I was like, heads? I don't know. What's this got to do with soccer? I had no idea what was going on. And even more than that, once I got into the game, my head was always elsewhere. I was usually thinking about, well, is anybody looking at me? Do I look dumb? And there was this one time I was standing in goal that my mind was completely elsewhere. And uh, there was this one guy on the team, a guy called John Greenwell, who could kick that ball as though it had rockets attached to it. And I did not see that John was coming towards my goal. My head was probably somewhere else. And in what felt like a ridiculously short amount of time, he went from being a body moving towards me to a ball literally being pressed into my face at the speed of light, it felt like. My entire face just went completely numb. No idea, didn't see it coming. He came straight down the pitch, but didn't see it coming. I was not a very wakeful soccer player. I didn't pay attention to what was going on around me. I didn't see what was going on around me. 
And sometimes as Christians, we can find ourselves in a similar position where we are not paying attention to what's going on in ourselves or in the world around us and we have blind spots because we're not wakeful. And so, Paul wants to encourage the Colossians. I want you to be wakeful people. And the way that you do that is you continue in prayer. The way that you see what is happening in your life and in the world around you is to make sure that you are in consistent communication with God. This is what he says at the start of Colossians 4, verses 2 through 4. He says, Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful. Watchful in it with thanksgiving. And at the same time, pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison, that I may make it clear, which is how I ought to speak. So there's three qualities there that we see in those couple of verses that help frame for us what continuing in prayer looks like for us. First thing is it needs to be persistent. Prayer needs to be persistent. It's too often that what prayer really takes the form of in our lives is it's, it comes in seasons or in moments. And that's not how the Bible challenges us to pray. In the letter to the Thessalonians chapter 5, we're told in verse 17 that we should be pray, praying without ceasing. It says, pray without ceasing. It's an intimidating verse, isn't it, to hear that and think, well, how do we do that? How do you pray without ceasing? The way I want us to think about this is that prayer is not like an emergency phone. It's not something that you use only when the situation is serious. It's more like food that you eat every day. We would never wake up and travel through our day without eating something, usually. It should be the same with prayer. We should be as dependent on prayer as we are for food for our bodies. Every day, when we wake up, we should be in conversation with God. As we're commuting to work, we should be in conversation with God. When we're sat at our desk in between different things, we can be calling out to the Lord and asking for His grace in our life and His grace on others. We talk about growing in faith here at Chapel Street. And our growth in our faith is directly related to how persistent we are in prayer. Second thing that Paul tells us to do is to pray watchfully. To pray watchfully. He says, continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it. Reminds me of another verse in Scripture where in the letter of First Peter, Peter tells us, humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God, so at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all of your cares on him because he cares for you. Be sober-minded, be watchful. Your adversary, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion, seeking someone to devour. You know, the reason that we need to be serious about being persistent in prayer is because there is a certain level of blindness that you and I all operate in. It's like blind spots driving in your car. There are corners of your life that you just can't see. Things hidden in your heart and in the circumstances of life that without prayer you can't see. Tim Keller, one of my favorite pastors, who just passed away recently, once said this. He said, you will never see your own heart and especially your worst faults except through prayer. You will live in denial. You will have too high or too low or too simplistic a view of things based on what you want to believe about things. What Keller's telling us is that we need prayer to see clearly. 
Prayer is first and foremost an active acknowledgement of your limitation to lead yourself and to change yourself. It is an acknowledgement of your dependence on God himself to show you what you can't see, to get your attention on the right places. And so we pray watchfully because we want God to make us more aware of what's lacking in our own hearts and what's happening in the world around us so that we can respond rightly, so that we can be prepared. Lastly, he encourages them to continue in prayer that is thankful. It's littered all throughout the New Testament. We could find many verses. And in fact, if we go back to that one I've already mentioned from Thessalonians, what he says is, I want you to pray without ceasing, giving thanks in all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for you. So we pray without ceasing, giving thanks. We're thankful. And again, that's what he says here in Colossians. Continue steadfastly in prayer, being watchful in it with thanksgiving. Let me ask you, how much of your prayer life is spent in giving thanks? In rejoicing in God's blessings over you? It's easy for us to see what we don't have. It's harder for us to make sure that we're taking notice of what we do have and what God is providing for us. And prayer helps us make sure that we're looking at the right things. I wanna challenge you this week to work hard to thank God every day. You can be as simple as just taking a journal or a piece of paper each day and writing three things that you can rejoice in God for. And perhaps for some of you, that's a struggle because you're telling me, well, right now there's not much in my life to be thankful for. But if you are in Christ, let me remind you, you will always have something to be thankful for. Even in the worst of life circumstances, even in the darkest of days, you can thank God for his unchanging devotion to you, for his faithfulness to you, for his forgiveness of sin, for his commitments to carry you through and his Colossians tell us to hold all things together for you even when it feels like they're crumbling. If God grants you the ability to, you can even thank him for those difficult circumstances. This is one of the most precious things that you can do as a believer is to actually change how you see the pain in your life and come to God with thanksgiving for it. I know that seems so bizarre, but that is how Paul lived. Paul's writing this very letter from a prison cell. Probably not great conditions, under a brutal dictatorship in Rome. What might you expect Paul to pray in these moments? As he sat in a prison cell. Pray that God would get me out of this mess. Pray that this would be done quickly. Pray that I could be back with you guys in church celebrating. But that's not what Paul prays. Paul has a thankfulness in his heart, even for his own suffering. And so what he prays to God for in that thankfulness is that God would grant him opportunities to keep sharing the gospel even in that cell, to keep making the word of the Lord known even to his jailers and his persecutors. Paul sees his suffering as a gift that provides him an opportunity to bring Christ to others. And so he charges himself and he charges others, pray persistently, pray watchfully, and pray thankfully, because God is at work. But he also challenges the Colossians to walk in wisdom, to walk in wisdom. I saw a video um, probably a few months ago now 
was fascinating to me of a gentleman who had managed to get himself a seat in first class on an Emirates flight to Dubai. And similar to what I would do in this situation, he decided this was probably the only time it's going to happen in his life, so he needed to record everything. So he had this video that would travel through the entire experience of what it was like to fly in first class on an Emirates flight. There was a shower on board the airplane for you to use at your leisure. Your seat would recline completely into a bed. You could, this was my favorite, and I wish I had this on airplanes. You could close the door around you so that no one can bother you. No one's going to talk to you. No one's going to come in and bother you. You can turn the lights off and go to sleep. It was unbelievable seeing this cabin that this guy was flying in. And what I remember is, if I was in that position, I would want to make the most of that. I would want to make use of every blessing, every opportunity, because I have got a short span of time to soak up everything that was in there, in that experience. And Paul's charge to the Colossians is, I want you to be a people who seize the moment, who use the moment to get the most out of it, for the glory of God in his kingdom. This is what he says in Colossians 4. He says, walk in wisdom towards outsiders, making the best use of the time. Let your speech always be gracious, seasoned with salt, so that you may know how you ought to answer each person. Making the best use of time. That's a great phrase. What's interesting about that phrase is we can kind of think of that word time as kind of make the best use of all of the time. But what Paul's saying here is he uses a different Greek word. He doesn't use chronos, which means kind of time in the traditional sense. He uses a Greek word kairos. And what that means is the moment, unique periods of time, particular periods of time. He says, I want you to make best use of the moments that you have. Paul wants the Colossians to think about how we use our moments. Now, I can think about times when I've not used my moments well. Maybe when someone's found out there was a pastor and asked me to tell them about my church or tell them about Christ, and I was a little anxious or I was a little thrown off guard, and so I didn't use the moment well. Or perhaps another moment when someone is struggling and in pain, and I know I've got good news for you, I can bring news about Jesus to you, and I just haven't seized it the way that I could have. We need to consider how we might make the best use of our moments. And so Paul gives us an outline. He gives us characteristics to help us know how to use our moments well. And the first thing he tells us is he says he wants us to move toward. To move toward. He says, walk in wisdom toward outsiders. Jesus was always someone who was moving towards people. Even his incarnation is the story of him moving towards sinners, moving towards human beings. In our life, do we move towards people who are outside of the church, people who are outside of Christ, or do we withdraw? Are you willing to get to know your neighbor who has that political sign that you just don't like to look at? Are you willing to invite them over to dinner? To encourage them and serve them? See, I think we're conditioned, at least in these days, to avoid people. To not move toward, but to move away. I think it comes as no surprise for me to say to you that in our culture now, it's so much more often that you're going to come across someone that you don't want to be with than that you do. But we need to, as followers of Christ, walk in wisdom and move towards people. Matthew 5, Jesus says this. He says, People do not light a lamp and put it under a basket, but on a stand, and it gives light to all in the house. And in the same way, let your light 
shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father who is in heaven. Sometimes we don't even have to leave the church to do this. We can move towards, you know, I get uh, notices every week, all the pastors do, of new guests that have come to Chapel Street. I know that every single one of our campuses, including this one, there are new guests almost every week. And we have an opportunity as the church body to move towards them. Because nobody wants to come to a church and be that strange face and no one talks to you, no one sees you. So easy to come to church and to sit down in the pew, to listen to the message, to worship, and then head straight out and not notice the new faces around you. And we have an opportunity to move towards them. And I know if, the, you, if you are those new people, you're not excited about that. You don't want necessarily a whole bunch of people moving towards you. But let me tell you why we value this as a church and why we want to challenge ourselves to do this. It's because you matter. You matter to Jesus. And we want to move towards you so that you can know that you matter to him. That you are not just a random guest in his house. He sees you. Paul also tells us to speak graciously. So important for our culture where the truth is we are not often speaking with grace, even Christians. In fact, sometimes, unfortunately, especially Christians. There is so much vitriol out there right now. Think about this. Paul doesn't say to the Colossian church, I want you to give the outsiders your zingers. I want you to prove them wrong. I want you to make sure that you cut them down and point out their sin and tell them all the ways in which they are being in rebellion against God, which is true, but he doesn't tell them to talk to them that way. He tells them, speak graciously. Social media is flooded with angry Christians these days who like to mock those who disagree with them. And sometimes I have seen people that I love and walk towards Jesus with mock other people and trying to humiliate them. It is so unchristian. It is so antithetical to the calling on our lives to be people whose words are seasoned with salt. Our words should be flavorful to people. They should be comforting to people. We should be a people who, who have good news on our lips at all times. Peter who was known for being brash with his words, once wrote in his letter in the New Testament, in your hearts honor Christ the Lord is holy, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Speak graciously, having a good conscience so that when you are slandered, those who revile your good behavior in Christ may be put to shame, for it is better to suffer for doing good if that should be God's will than for doing evil. We're not saying that we should just say nice platitudes and be encouraging all the time. We should absolutely speak the truth of God's word, the truth of the gospel, but that gospel is called a gospel because it is good news, not bad news. And so we should communicate it with that same spirit of graciousness and joy that the Lord communicated it to us. He was gentle with us. Last characteristic he gives us is to consider each person. In the letter of Jude, we're told that uh, we should have mercy on those who doubt and that we should save others by snatching them out of the fire and to others show mercy with fear. There's this kind of breaking up where Jude is communicating, I want you to consider how you should be talking to the person in front of you because people are different. People's lives are different. The circumstances that they're going through is different. 
And again, here in Colossians, we are challenged by Paul to consider each person. Every person is traveling through something different, and your task as a faithful follower of Christ is to bring the gospel to bear on their situation. And when we don't do that, we miss the moment. There is a purpose to our continuing in prayer and our walking in wisdom, and it's this. We are called to fulfill the ministry that we've received in the Lord. Let me just read through this list towards the end of Colossians that Paul gives us of these all-star ministry partners that he had who were fulfilling their ministry in the Lord. It says, Tychicus will tell you about my activities. He is a beloved brother and faithful minister and fellow servant in the Lord. I've sent him to you for this very purpose that you may know how we are and that he may encourage your hearts. And with him, Onesimus, our faithful and beloved brother who is one of you, they will tell you of everything that has taken place here. And Aristarchus, my fellow prisoner, greets you. And Mark, the cousin of Barnabas, concerning whom you have received instructions, if he comes to you, welcome him. And Jesus, who is called Justice, these are the only men of the circumcision among my fellow workers for the kingdom of God, and they have been a comfort to me. Epaphras, who is one of you, a servant of Christ Jesus, greets you, always struggling on your behalf in his prayers, that you may stand mature and fully assured in all the will of God. For I bear him witness that he has worked hard for you and for those in Laodicea and in Heropolis. Luke, the beloved physician, greets you, as does Demas. Give my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea and to Nympha and the church in her house. And when this letter has been read among you, have it also read in the church of the Laodiceans and see to it that you also read the letter from Laodicea. And say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. I, Paul, write this greeting with my own hand. Remember my chains. Grace be with you. This is what he leaves them with. And maybe you've read through different books of the Bible before and you come across sections like this where it's just a long list of names and you skip over it because you want to go to the deeper stuff, the theological stuff or the practical stuff and you miss what is most beautiful about this list. There's 10 different names that Paul mentions there. Ten different people who were partners with him in ministry in one way or another. There was church planters, there was writers and historians, there was doctors, there was those who were hosting the church in their home. There are missionaries, there are prisoners. It is a very diverse list of people. And I just I want to highlight just one to you this morning because I just I find it so fascinating that he's in here. A guy called Onesimus. Paul says in Colossians that Onesimus is coming with Tychicus to, to deliver good news. But the, if we go to the book of Philemon, a little bit later in the New Testament, you find out more about Onesimus. Onesimus was at one time the servant of a guy called Philemon, who was hosting the church of Colossae in his home. And Onesimus robbed Philemon, stole from him, and then he fled. And he fled all the way to Rome. And while he was in Rome, who should he come across other than the Apostle Paul himself. And Onesimus encounters the gospel and he gives his life to Christ and he's completely changed. And Paul says, I want you to go back to Philemon. I want you to go back to the church in Colossae because God has transformed you and they will welcome you. They will love you. They will serve you. Go back to them. Now, if you were gonna make a list of great ministry partners, people who you wanted to honor in front of the whole church, would you pick the guy that stole from the guy who's hosting the church? 
Would you choose the guy who kind of pulled from the offering plate, so to speak? And yet Paul does that. Why? Because Paul knows that the church is built on stories like Onesimus's. It's built on the stories of people who have all kinds of different things going on in their life, have made all kinds of mistakes, and yet Christ has come to them, he's known them, he's loved them, he's shown mercy to them, and so he says, Onesimus, go back and make sure that others see your story. Don't hide. And you know what that says to me today? You know what the encouragement for us as a church is? Maybe you think that your story is not good enough to be of value in the kingdom of God. Maybe you think that because of some of the things that you've done and the mistakes you've made, you're not worth mentioning in a letter about faithful servants in the church. And Paul says, you're wrong. Your story matters. No matter what you have done, no matter what mistakes you have made, no matter how talented you are or how untalented you are, your life is precious in the eyes of God and it is your very life that God wants to use so that others will know him and see him. And that's why we continue in prayer and we walk in wisdom because your life matters. Ministry is not exclusive to those who hold the title of pastor. It's not just for John or Kenton or me or Jeff or Brian. This church stands on the faithful witness of its body, not its pastors. You matter. There's this beautiful charge that Paul kind of ends his letter with to someone called Archippus. There's not a lot we know about Archippus, but in verse 17 we're told this, say to Archippus, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. Tell Archippus to fulfill the ministry he has received in the Lord. Paul says, make sure, make sure you tell this guy. Make sure you tell him that his life matters and that he has a calling on his life. There is a ministry for him. And I want him to run into it with all of his heart, with all of his strength. Because in the kingdom of God, his story matters. You and I are recipients of grace. We are recipients of a ministry for where we are, which is why we say that as a church. And Paul's charge to us is to fulfill that. Not to just believe the gospel, but to live it out. To make sure that the gospel doesn't end up up in some hidden corner of our life where people can't see it, but where it's taking center stage every day, every hour. There are many of us that are not fulfilling the ministry we receive because we believe we're not smart enough, we're not put together enough, we're not prepared enough, and I would ask you to remember Onesimus, who Paul cites as a faithful ministry partner. And I would ask you to remember Archippus, a man who we know nothing of, but who we know has a ministry to fulfill in the Lord. This is what Paul says to the church in Corinth, in 2 Corinthians. He says, We all with unveiled face, beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed in the same image from one degree of glory to another. For this comes from the Lord who is the Spirit. And then right at the start of 4, continuing that same thought, he says, Therefore, Having this ministry by the mercy of God, we do not lose heart. Friends, you've seen him. You've beheld his glory and his love for you and his mercy for you, and therefore, you are equipped. You are being transformed into his likeness. If you have beheld Christ, then you are ready to help someone else behold him too. You don't need an MDiv. You don't need some advanced degree. All you need is to behold him. That's what you need to fulfill your ministry. So don't lose heart. Let me close by asking you this. If you received this letter, 
who would be on your list? Whose pictures might you show and, and recount the stories of how they served you and encouraged you and walked beside you? More importantly, whose list would you be on? Whose letter, if they wrote it down, would feature your name as a faithful servant of the church, as a devoted friend and encourager, prayer warrior, host to them? Who would mention you as a means of God's grace, as a disciple who's pursuing the growth of God's kingdom? Perhaps it could be your neighbor whose life is crumbling, they're struggling, and you're an extension of God's grace to them. Perhaps it's your coworker who's burdened and in need of some encouragement, and you are God's extension of grace to them. Perhaps it's your child who's lost in the chaos of the culture and everything else going on in the world, and you are an extension of God's grace to that child. Dear church, this series, we called it The Fullness of God. And my final encouragement for you this morning is that fullness. The fullness of God is for you, it is with you, and it is in you. And so I charge you with Paul. Fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. And do not lose heart. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for this chance just to be reminded that you have given us a ministry in the Lord. That we aren't just people who have a list of those who've served us, but Lord, you have called us to go out and to serve others. And God, as we come to the end of this amazing book that has held Jesus up as this great creator who holds all things together, who's given himself for us, Lord, may we behold him and may we continue in prayer, walk in wisdom and fulfill the ministry that we've received from him so that others can behold him too. Lord, we love you. We need your grace in our lives. And we pray that we would bring joy to your heart as we go. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Before our benediction, I remind you that if there's uh, something in your heart that you'd like to pray about or someone to pray with, there'll be people in the front who can do that with you, and we encourage you to do so. Now hear our benediction from the passage we just heard. As recipients of his grace, see that you fulfill the ministry that you have received in the Lord. In his name.